0: This weekend, we're going to be in our message series, More Than a Story. We've got two weeks left, this weekend and next weekend, of this overview of the Bible. Um, One of the things that if you look at the American church, if you look at the the church today, uh, what a lot of pastors and people who like study church history, uh, they look at and they, they see us the generation that we're a part of is one of the most biblically illiterate generations like we just don't understand what the Bible says what it means we have an idea of what it means and what we think it means but it, we just don't understand it so that's the reason for this series is I want you guys to be able to go to the Bible and read it not be scared of it or confused by it or like man these people say just these and thous and shall and doest or whatever like they say all these weird things that I just don't understand I don't talk like that anymore um, but we want to go to the Bible and we want to learn about the Bible. Why? Because I want you guys to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so, it, learning the Bible helps us grow not only in our relationship with God, but it helps us grow in the, into the person that God created us to be. In Second Timothy, we've read this scripture several weeks. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. All Scripture is God or is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training. In righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. For us, the Bible isn't just a nice book. For us, the Bible is, is a way for God to show us who we should be, how we should act, what we should do. And in this series, we've been looking at this, and we we were looking at the structure of the Bible and and how it's written and what we can gain from knowing that. And so we talked about the word covenant. You guys remember, that's a formalized relationship. There's two covenants in the Bible, and these two main covenants that the Bible talks about, the Old Covenant we see in the Old Testament— and that's part of the Bible. The New Covenant is in the New Testament. And we talked about the uh, the sections of the Old Testament. And last week, we started in the New Testament. And this is the last 27 books of your Bible. And so the, the first four, uh, it's actually made up of four sections, the New Testament. The Gospels that we talked about last week is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the story of Jesus. This is good news for us. And like we learned last week, the word gospel literally means good news. And the gospel shows us about Jesus' teaching. It shows us about Jesus' mission. And it shows us that Jesus wants to be a part of this mission. And so today I want to look at the next two sections of the New Testament. Acts. This is called Acts. The book of Acts. Also known as the Acts of the Apostles. Like the actual Acts. Like the things that they did. That's what this book is about. And so this is like the history book of the early church, the history book of the New Testament. And the next section, which almost takes you to the end, almost to the book of Revelation, uh, to the book of Jude, um, this is called the epistles. These were letters. And anytime you hear the word epistle, if I say the word epistle, it just means a letter. That's all it means. It means a letter that someone wrote to someone. And so instead of writing uh, from one friend to another, sometimes you get epistles that are written like that. Typically the epistles were written to a church. And so Paul who would be like, you know, uh, like a Billy Graham or somebody like that of the day. Like he was like the guy. He would go around to all these cities and he would start these churches or he would help the churches that had, had been started by someone else. And so what he would do is something would arise in this church, like we talked about in, in our First Corinthians series. Something would pop up in this church. And so Paul would write them a letter. It's like Billy Graham writing us a letter. That would be pretty cool, right? So he would write us, they would write a letter to the church and the church would be like, oh, This is what I need to learn. This is what I need to do. This is how we should act. And that's how the epistles are, and that's how the church received them. Next week, we're going to wrap up with apocalyptic uh, section. That's the book of Revelation. Should be a fun fun way to wrap up the series. So that's going to be next week. But as I said, today, we're going to look at Acts and the epistles. Acts and the epistles. Acts is a single book that outlines the histories of the, the history of the church and the epistles like I said are letters those make up the largest section in the New Testament 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament were epistles and of those 21 13 were written by Paul so when we hear we talk about a guy named Paul he wrote 13 of the 21 epistles and 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament so he wrote a lot and these were again letters from early church leaders to local churches. Although the book of Acts comes first, over two-thirds of the epistles were actually written before it. They were written before the book of Acts. So as we read Acts... We see historically how things are working out, but then we can read the epistles and see like the instruction that was given to the church while these things historically were working out. For example, one of the major controversies in the early church, and we actually talked about this before, one of the major controversies was that you needed to enter into the new covenant. So you needed to come into a relationship with Jesus through the old covenant that was one of the major controversies one of the major issues and so what what they were saying was is there were people in the church who were saying you know Aaron if you want to become a Christian cool we'd love to have you I need you to become a Jew first so that you can become a Christian like that's what they were teaching and we actually read this if you open your if you have your Bibles and you want to look at it in Acts 15 In Acts 15, you see this controversy played out in the church, but you also see it in the book of Galatians. If you want to see Paul angry, see in the book of Galatians. Just read the book of Galatians. You're like, man, this dude's angry. He's mad because he didn't like the idea that you had to go through anyone but Jesus. To so Paul, it was all about Jesus. We needed to focus on Jesus because Jesus is the one who, who saves us. He brings us through. And so the book of Galatians, we see his instruction playing out. We see it also happening in Acts 15. So these two, um, these two sections of the Bible kind of play into one another. It's happening in real time. Both of these sections happening uh, together. And it outlines the first and second generations of Christians living out the good news of jesus the first and second generation so the people who knew jesus who walked with jesus who who were were his disciples who went and started uh churches literally all over the known world and then the next group this second generation of people who came along and wanted to learn who, who wanted to follow christ and they wanted to learn about him this was the second generation and so this is what we see in these two section of books acts and the epistles, Acts, and the letters. This is important for us to know when we read them that these people, they had a very, very close connection to Jesus. It wasn't just that, you know, some random guy wrote a random book, you know, hundreds and thousands of years after Jesus. No, these people had a very close relationship with him. They were very, they either knew him directly or they, they knew somebody that knew him. Acts in the epistles, Acts in the letters, answer the statement, this statement, Jesus is alive. Now what? Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price that you and I were supposed to pay, and he is alive. He rose again. He's now seated at the right hand of God. Now What? Now what should we do? Now how should we live? What should we be doing with our lives? How should we treat each other? How should our attitude be towards God, towards sin, towards each other, towards life, towards those who don't believe, towards those who do believe? How should our attitudes be? These are the questions that this book or these set of books answers for us. Jesus is alive. Now what? What? Now, what? How should we live? Should it be that Jesus is alive, we accept it, but we still continue living the same way? No. We can't it just I mean the, the the thing is is that all of our sin, the, the the death that came a part of it, the 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 all the lost and, and brokenness of the world, the lost and the brokenness in us, the chaos inside of us, Jesus' resurrection actually delivered us from all that, and so now we can have new life in him. So our lives should not be the same. So what you see is you see these writings and you see how sometimes Christians can fall back into old ways. They can fall back into favoritism, which James mentions. They can fall back into, you know, you've got to jump through all these hoops to be a Christian, like Galatians mentioned. They fall back into these things, uh, different divisions. And I follow this guy and I follow that guy, which is the whole point of First Corinthians. So all these things were happening where Christians who should be living different aren't. And so we have to answer the question, even for us today, Jesus is alive, now what? Now how should I be living? Now what should I be doing? Now how should I be thinking? Should I be following my old ways, my own thoughts, my old, my old path? Should I be doing that or should his resurrection mean something different to me? Last week we looked at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered the Christ. That means the, the, the one who we've been longing for, the Messiah, the, the one who will save us. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said on this rock, this idea, I will build my church in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We sang that this morning. The gates of hell will never stand a chance. Your name prevails, Jesus, the great I am. That was the lyric we sang. Uh, So the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Acts in the epistles, acts in the letters show Jesus fulfilling that promise. And we're still experiencing him fulfilling that promise today. We're still living this out Today, the side of history that the cross is on, it was the same side of history as this early church. Right. So we they were post cross. Jesus had died. He'd risen from the dead. He'd gone to be at the right hand of God. That was they, they lived after that. Do we still live after that? Yeah. And so a lot of the things that they were going through, a lot of the things that they were experiencing, a lot of things that they were trying to work out is the same things that we try to work out today. And so we're on the same side of history, the same side of the redemption story, the same side of the cross as these people. And we can see how Jesus is fulfilling his promise to build his church and protect it. Like Peter and like every person that we see in the early church, you and I still have to answer the question, who do we say Jesus is? You got to do that every day. You got to answer that question every day. It's almost like, you know, those of us who, who've been married for a while. You know, some, I heard somebody, um, somebody posted online, you know, I've been married for 40 uh, something years to the same person, but there are four different people. Like that person changes over time. And so as a mar- married person, you gotta re-up. You gotta re-up. You gotta lean in. You gotta do it again. You gotta recommit. You gotta say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna love them. I'm gonna date them. I'm gonna serve them. I'm gonna I'm gonna do what it what, whatever I can to make them happy. I'm gonna grow in my faith with them. You gotta re-up all the time. And so for us, we have to do the same. We need to re-up with our relationship and our commitment to Jesus by saying every day, who do we say that Jesus is? Was he just a good teacher? Was he just a prophet? Was he just a nice guy? Or was he Christ, the son of the living God? Who do you say, both in your words and actions, who do you say that Jesus is? And so those two questions, who do we say that Jesus is? And Jesus is alive. Now what? These are the two questions that we see in Acts and the letters. We see these questions always in the forefront, always in the front of of, of, of the conversation. So who is Jesus and how should his resurrection change how we live. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 sh- shows this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight of sin and, uh, and which clings to us cl- closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us, looking to Jesus. Look, who do they say Jesus is? The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith the founder. So everything that we do is built on Jesus and there's not somebody else that's going to come along and make it better. He is both founder and he is the perfecter. So everything we need, everything we look to, everything we look for is found in the person of Jesus. This is who Hebrews 12 says that Jesus is. The founder and perfecter who endured the cross for us and is now seated at the right hand of God. Great. Jesus is alive. Now what Hebrews twelve uh, continues in, in verse three? Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse twelve. Therefore, I lift, uh, therefore lift your drooping heads and strengthen your weakened knees and make paths straight for your feet, so that that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive. for For peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See that it has no that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it may uh, it many can be defiled, and no one is sexually immoral uh, immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Jesus is alive now. What? Now this is how we should be living. You can sell your birthright. You can sell your, your whole, this is the story that he's leaning on, this idea of this guy who, had, who was the firstborn and he had, this, he had this birthright. He was the one that was going to inherit everything, but he sold that birthright, his whole inheritance, for a single meal. And sin is like that. Sin is like that in our own lives. We can sell our inheritance, everything that we're going to receive from the Father for one single time of of a mistake that feeds our flesh. Jesus is alive. Now how should we live? We have to live by by faithfulness and by committing our lives to him. In Romans, who do you say Jesus is? Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and and is saved. Jesus is alive. Now what? Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, Christian. Hold fast to what is good. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for his written vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord." To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus is alive. Now, how should we be living? That's how Romans tells us to live. And so you can go through each epistle and you can see this pattern. You can see this pattern of, look, this is what Jesus has done for you. This is what Jesus has delivered you from. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the the one who saved us, who delivers. He's the son of the living God. He's the, the one who is the beginning and the end. He's the author and the perfecter, the founder and the perfecter. He's all these things. So how should we be living how should we live our lives? If these two questions, who do you say Jesus is? And Jesus is alive. Now what? were the driving questions in the lives of early believers. They should be the driving questions for us today. They should still be the driving questions for us today. But one of the cool things that I kind of want to wrap up with this is what we see in the book of Acts what we actually see in the book of Acts how many of you guys like you've ever been at a point where you've tried to do like the right thing but you keep just kind of messing up you ever been there I've been there I want to do the right thing. I want to say the right thing, but I, man, I will stick my foot in my mouth so fast. I will get, you know, my temper will rise up and do the right, like I will, I will do this wrong. And so the, this idea of like, we're going to get to where we need to be by just sheer force of will is really not possible. It's not possible. So what does Acts say about that? What, what, what did the early church, when, when they, these guys were dealing with this, what, what, what was going on? And Acts shows us that in our own right, we, we, we don't necessarily have what it takes. But Jesus promises to empower us by the Holy Spirit. He promises he us to send the Holy Spirit to empower us to be his witnesses. What a witness is, is someone who said, I've seen seen that. And because I've seen that, my life is different now. I have different responsibility. If you and I are driving home and we see a wreck, should we just like leave? Like, drive, like hit and run, boom, wreck, gone. Should you leave? Or are you responsible to stick around, make sure somebody's all right, make sure that the officer has all they have to do? Like you're, the witness has responsibility attached to it. And so the Holy Spirit comes to empower us to be witnesses for Christ. We've seen what he's done on the cross. We've seen what he's done in our own lives. We've seen what he's done in the lives of our family. We've seen all this stuff. And because of that, we have the responsibility of carrying out that witness to the world that we live in. But Jesus says you don't have to do this on your own strength because Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This would be like saying you'll be my witnesses in Queen Creek and in Phoenix and in Arizona and in the Southwest and the U.S. and in the ends of the earth. Geographically, he's just kind of rolling out there. And so you, you, you can, the, the idea though is that you can start in the community that you're in. We receive power from the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, when we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the disciples in Jerusalem, Peter, Peter, who only a few months before, See, this is different books of the Bible, and so we think a lot of time passed. No, only a few months before, Peter was the guy who, while Jesus was getting tried, was asked three times that he know him, and Peter said, I don't even know this guy. And one time he cussed to say he didn't know him. So Peter's like, I don't know who that is. And Jesus was crucified months before. This guy comes along, once the Holy Spirit empowers him, and he preaches, and this is what he preaches in Acts 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. This is to a crowd of thousands of people. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone who um, the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about three thousand souls. So the guy just months before who denied even knowing Jesus stood up in a crowd of thousands of people, declared the goodness of God and three thousand people came to know Christ. Three thousand people. And what was the difference? Was it because Peter just acted better, willed it more? He was doing like push-ups or something at home, listening to Rocky music? Like, was that what was happening? No. The Holy Spirit empowered him to do what God wanted him to do. The Holy Spirit empowered him to do what God wanted him to do. Acts shows us that we don't get to where God wants us to be out of sheer force of will. Rather, we get there by the empowerment of the Spirit. Story after story, we see early church fathers endure imprisonment Some, like Stephen, were were martyred, were killed. They stood before crowds of people. They endured shipwrecks and storms. They preached the gospel in the places where idols were worshipped. They stood up to leaders of cities and communities, all by the power of the Holy Spirit, answering the question, who did they say Jesus was? And now that he's alive, what should we be doing? Acts is such an inspiring book when you read it. It's such an inspiring book. It's like, wow, these guys did amazing things for God. But how it ends is very interesting as well. Have anybody ever read the end of Acts? Anybody seen how it ends? It's, it's kind of random. Every New Testament book has a really well-defined ending. Like it, it, it's like, well, in conclusion, like you know, when the pastor says in conclusion, he's got 20 more minutes left in the sermon. In conclusion. And they just kind of wrap everything up. This is how the epistles work. This is really how a lot of the gospels work. You know, it kind of leads up to Jesus' resurrection. And so it has this idea of like, okay, let me put a bow on this. Let me tie it off. Let me make it nice and neat. And I'll give it to you. Like that's how the, the, most of the New Testament is written. With a very well-defined conclusion. A very clear ending. However, the book about the history of church of the church, Acts, it just stops. It just it's like mid thought. it's like it's like, well, um, and Paul was in Rome, and he worked with the people in Rome. Well, what happened next? Well, like it, it kept it kept going, didn't it? Obviously, it kept. the implication that when we read the book of Acts is that the work of Peter and the work of Mark and the work of Stephen and the work of Paul and the work of Barnabas, it continued beyond that book. And it continues even today. Acts isn't their story. Acts is our story. Acts is our story. And whenever you and I say, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower me, that you would direct my steps today, that you would give me the words to say, that you would help me leave my sin behind, that you would help me live the life that you'd want me to, that you would help me live a life worthy of my calling. Holy Spirit, empower me. When we live that way, when we act that way, when the Spirit empowers us, we continue to write the history of the church every day. You may not go out into the Walmart this afternoon and preach and 3,000 people get saved, but you can love your neighbor. You may not, you may not have this big thing that's that starting an international adoption ministry that changes thousands of lives, but you can show the kids that live across the street God's love and God's grace. You can do these things. We continue to write the history of the church on the pages of eternity when we live lives that are led by the Holy Spirit. So the question for us today is this Who do you say Jesus is? Is he just a good guy? Is he a, was he a prophet? Was he somebody that, that, that you know, he, he, well, he, way back then, you know, there's a bunch of people that, you know, had good things to say and Jesus was one of them. Or was he the Christ, the Son of the living God? And if he is that, if he is the one that died for your sins and rose again, And how should we live? How should we be living? And then invite the Holy Spirit to help you live that out.